Amen. Well, again, if you haven't heard it enough from our team, just want to say Merry Christmas. I hope that this Christmas for you, though it has likely looked different than some other Christmases you've had, um, is just as meaningful and just as refreshing. And for, for us, even in our family, Christmas is a time where we can realign ourselves around Jesus and realign our priorities. And, and so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you made this night and this service a part of your Christmas tradition, at least for 2021 and almost 2022. Uh, so how many of you have shopping left to do? Just quick confession. <laughs> wow, you're all lying. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you're all just really prepared. First service is not so, I had multiple conversations like, oh yeah, I got to go to the store right now and hope that they're open. Now I got all mine done. Now it was interesting with a broken finger. I'll just tell you that, but it happened. They were sort of wrapped uh, Lennon helped me. And that was uh, fun in, in and of itself. Uh, I had to do it over. Yeah, I should have. It was just wetter. I'll put it that way. She has a need to get her mouth on every single thing right now. So it was just a little bit wetter. But it was interesting because we're, I was thinking about the Christmas story. And if you know, we've been kind of tracking along uh, Matthew 1, the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, this incredible biographical account, really, of all that Jesus said, all he did, his life, his his ministry, his miracles, and then eventually his death and his resurrection. And then he gives his disciples a mission to live out. But right at the beginning of Matthew, we've been reading through this genealogy. Really, it's a family tree uh, with some beautiful stories in it and some very broken stories in it. And, and towards the end of that genealogy, here's what we read in Matthew 1. If you have a Bible or device, I encourage you to track with me. In Matthew 1.18, here's what he writes. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, uh, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Now, if you look through Jesus' family tree, all, the first basically 18 verses of Matthew are some pretty interesting names. Not only interesting to read, you probably don't have any of uh, your grandkids named uh, Ram, that last I checked, or Aminadab, probably not. Like, I'm probably not seeing any of those in your family line. But here's what I know, is that as you get through and into these stories, they are some incredibly broken, messed up family stories. And yet Jesus comes at the end in this line to redeem them all. But then at the end of this broken, jacked up line of, of Jesus's family, we find that his origin story, we find his birth story, and it's also broken and jacked up somehow. I mean, I don't know if you have a 14 year old girl, if she came to you and said, oh, I'm pregnant, and by the way, it's God, you'd have issues, right? Your Christmas would be a little bit different than you thought it was going to be, which is what happens in this story. This is the exact thing that the gospel writer Matthew is communicating. Needless to say, with all of the weird components of the story, uh, Mary's birth story of Jesus is a scandal. It's something that if it was in the Bethlehem Facebook page, like the community Facebook page, like where all the town gossip happens, there'd be like a hundred comments underneath. And you and I both would be clicking on them to read all of them, all the back and forth, all the, all the chatter about it, because that would have happened because Mary was from a really small town. Like she's from 
how big is door? Not even maybe a thousand people, maybe a couple thousand people. It's smaller than door, which should give you perspective. If you're from around here, there's like, there's one stoplight towns and then there's no stoplight towns. Nazareth is a no stoplight town, right? So there's just not a lot going on. There's maybe 450, maybe 500 people who live there. And not only is that true of Nazareth, but Nazareth was a heavily Jewish community. And most of the people in Nazareth were poor peasant farmers. They were people who knew what it was like to not know where their next meal was coming from or whether the harvest would be good. And because of where Nazareth was positioned, Mary's family, this, poor, this teenage girl likely would have been under heavy Roman persecution, under he- the heavy hand of a dictator or an empire that was overtaxing and persecuting people like these Jews, like Mary's own family. She probably would have been very young. And if she had this message come to her through Joseph or from an angel, it would have been very disorienting. It's like, wait, what? I thought I was supposed to wait to get married. And I thought that Joseph was going to be my husband. And now you're telling me all these things are actually happening in a very different way. But here's what I love about Mary's story. Here's why where she grew up and here's why the family she came from is really important is Mary understood two fundamental truths of life. And if you're sitting here and you've lived on this planet for one day, you know what these are. The first is that we all wrestle with darkness. Like there's things in our life that are out of our control, that are hard, that the diagnosis we don't want, unexpected loss that we didn't anticipate. We all wrestle with darkness. And the second truth of life is, is very similar. Because we all wrestle with darkness, all of us in our humanity and in our self-seeking have a plan to escape that darkness. We've got ways out. I'm not saying they work, but we have them. <laughs> like we, we have ways that we try to maneuver our way out of the darkness that we're in. And that's what's so ironic about Christmas. Like even our family Christmas parties and celebrations sometimes can just be a way to, to try to forget about the darkness, to, to forget about the sin, to forget about what he or she did, forget about that story in the family tree, forget about the pain of, of loss or a job transition you didn't want. I mean, all of those things, Christmas can tend to be that, or uh, at worst, like Christmas can also just be a way to escape all those things, not even to forget them, but try to escape them. We try to escape the darkness by cranking up the Michael Buble deluxe edition, right? That was us this morning. We were jamming that, the three of us, or maybe for you, it's, it's a little bit more serious. And it's a time where you actually get more lonely and more sad. And, and it's, it's, the darkness actually seems to be magnified in the time. Maybe it's you drinking yourself to sleep or trying to find another person to give yourself to. Like we all have darkness and we all have plans like it or not for how to escape the darkness. And that's, what's interesting. It's not like you and I are sitting here, here in West Michigan, even if you're not necessarily from here wondering, like, I don't know, like, does Jesus have a plan for salvation? Is there like a way out? Like most of us, if you grew up kind of how I grew up, have a familiarity with the gospel, with the good news. We kind of generally get it. Like we're not supposed to live for ourselves, supposed to live for God. So it's not really, that's not the issue. It's not like we're just sitting around with no plan to get out of the darkness and we're just waiting for Jesus to drop his in our lap. How this often looks for me is I make up formulas. Anyone else hate math in high school or college? Am I the only one? Okay, lots of, thank you for all agreeing that math is the worst. Math is the worst. I only say that because our guitar player is a math teacher, but, uh, <laughs> which I didn't put together till right now. That's ironic. 
but I just did not like math. It was hard for me. I barely passed every single class to do with numbers in my high school uh, career. Thankfully, I went to ministry school and didn't take that in college or else I'd have been in big trouble. But I, I have formulas for life. I mean, I grew up with formulas like this. If I work hard and if I'm disciplined, I'll make the team. Well, what happens when the roster gets posted on the high school wall and your name's not on it? The formula doesn't always work. Maybe you got into marriage thinking that if I just don't cheat on my spouse and if I just kind of keep my desires at bay, I, I don't let my eyes wander too much at work and I don't say the wrong things and, and I open the car door when I remember to open the car door, well then 50 years, six years from now, we will both pass away into, into old glory having been lived in this beautiful marriage. But you know, and you're maybe sitting with someone who knows that, that when divorce papers get filed, the formula starts to crumble and doesn't work. That perfect formula that you had maybe doesn't work. Uh, I've, I've had this. Now that I have a seventh-month-old daughter, I think about stuff like this all the time, but I think about how do I send her out? Maybe hopefully in 18 years, we'll see. But in 18 years from now, what, what kind of adult will she be? What kind of person will she be? And it's easy to buy into the formula even as a parent. Well, if I just kind of am nice to my kids, I give them what they want, I take them to Disneyland or, or I make sure they have all the things they want at Christmas and I, I don't say anything too mean to them that they'll grow up to be model citizens. And when they're 18, they'll move out and everything will be great. Well, here's the reality. That formula doesn't always work. Like there's people uh, sitting in this room or people who've sat through services just like this who have kids where they don't know where they are. They don't know who they're living with. They don't know who they're sleeping with or what drugs they're doing. And you sit there and you say, wow, maybe the formula doesn't always work. I remember uh, like literally the moment I held Lennon in my arms for the first time. And I held her and I literally said, this is the best feeling in the world. And it was. It's still to this day is like one of the best feelings I've ever had. It was just this incredible moment of getting to hold my daughter, something we had prayed for and longed for and couldn't wait to, to experience for ourselves. Well, then a couple months later, uh, even the formula I had of, well, if I just feed this thing enough and if I just help it sleep enough and if I'm nice enough to Lindsay in the meantime, we'll be good. Like our kid will be totally fine. What I didn't expect was some of the, I'll just call it mental darkness that can creep in after you've had a child. When your world gets flipped up, upside down, when it's disorienting, when there's things you didn't expect to happen, when the, when the baby does not sleep like you want or eat like you want or do all the things you want to do. I remember commenting uh, to a friend who I was talking to this summer. I said, it's really interesting because summer's my favorite season. Like if I could launch a Center Church Phoenix campus, I'd be there, all right? That's not feasible right now, but if you want to sign up, we'll have a list <laughs> at the back. We can all go together. I love summer. I love Michigan summer. It's great. It's like I wait all year for like, 0.2 months of summer to where I can go to the beach and just pretend I don't live in Michigan anymore. Like that's, that's me. And so I was looking forward to it. It was like summer with the baby sounds great. I can't wait. We'll take Lennon to the beach, this beautiful two month old who can't fend for herself. What could go wrong? Like we did all of those things and tried to keep it the same. And I said, you know what? What I ended up doing is spending a lot of time inside in dark rooms, trying to get this thing to fall asleep. Like that's how my summer went. And I said, you know what? What's interesting to me is I thought having a baby would be amazing and so fun, but it felt like I've spent most of the summer in a dark cave. And I meant that physically and I kind of meant that mentally too. 
It's just way, way harder than I thought. You know what's beautiful about Christmas is in the midst of that kind of darkness, whether you've experienced that kind or a different kind, is that the angels proclaim something that sticks out of my brain every single time I read the Christmas story. They say, behold, I bring you glad tidings. And eventually this news, it's going to be good news. It's going to produce great joy. Good news of great joy. In the, in the world of darkness, that's what Christmas is. And so the second question would be, maybe you've already asked it in your head. What was the good news of great joy? What is it? Well, well, to Mary, it was, you don't have to find your own way out of the darkness. That the formulas don't have to work to be saved. That you don't have to have figured out how to get your light plugged in just right and like maneuver it and figure it all out. It's that there's an outside source. There's a light greater than your own light that Jesus brings. That's the good news of great joy. That's why thousands of years later, we still gather. That's why even as you look at like the end of the story we just read, uh, Joseph is instructed to name him Yeshua or Jesus as we call it now. That name literally means our God saves. It's, it's, a, it's salvation. And that's why Jesus came. And I'm a musician. Some of you are musicians. Some of you are artists. And so I can connect with that some stuff so sometimes better than words. And a painting I stumbled across a couple years ago of Mary and Eve really struck me. I want to show it to you. Some of you may have seen this. This painting is by Sister Mary Grace Remington, who's a Benedictine nun in Iowa. And she does stencil and crayon and kind of pencil drawings of different theological things. And this is one that has really jumped off and a lot of people have seen it. But here is two characters. Number one on the left in in the brown is Eve. And on the right is Mary. And to me, if I could sum up the gospel and what Christmas is really about, I would just use that picture. Because you see this redemptive moment, you see Mary's uh, head directed towards Eve, whose head is down in shame. You see the serpent who initially deceived Eve into, into choosing her own path, into choosing her own way of salvation and her own way of living. And you see Mary crushing its head, redeeming it, representing Jesus who would eventually defeat our enemy once and for all. You see the yellow, this beautiful light, the true source of light. It just fills the whole space. And you see this garden, a beautiful picture of of us and God restored into relationship one more time. See, Jesus redeems people who find themselves in Mary's situation and people who find themselves in Eve's situation. But here's the tricky part. The tricky part is we have to eventually, if we want to really embrace Christmas, to lay down our own plan of salvation, to lay down our own way of getting light into our darkness, even our darkness itself. And people say things like this to me all the time. Well, if I become a Christian, if I surrender my life to Jesus, does that mean I have to forgive my (laughs) sister-in-law? Like, and, and they're serious. And maybe you've asked things like this, even at least internally. It's like, do I have to do that? And, And there's certainly truth to that. But if that were fully true, it would mean that it's Jesus plus a forgiving heart that saves me. But that's not what saves me. It's, it's embracing Jesus as my light that saves me. Or they'll say things like, well, if I become a Christian, does that mean I have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend? Does that mean I have to stop living with my girlfriend? Well, if that were true just by itself, it would mean Jesus plus sexual purity and perfection that saves you. But that's not what saves you. It's, it's embracing Jesus as 
the true light. That really, friends, is the good news that brings great joy this Christmas, is that all Jesus, all the true light wants from you to bring light into your darkness is you. It's you. It's, it's will you make your heart, will you make your life accessible to me? And that's not to say that Jesus doesn't have a pattern and a way to live that's going to help you flourish when it comes to relationships and sexuality. doesn't mean when you make Jesus king, he doesn't get to tell you what to do. It's actually the opposite. And there's an obedience pattern that takes place as you grow. But, but Christmas is about all you bring to the equation is you. It's your simple yes to Jesus' invitation to take on his light. You know, it was about 10 years ago for me that that happened. I had a decision point in my life. I had grown up around Jesus. He was like close enough to know he was there, but he was not close enough to change anything about me or to convict me or challenge me or want to transform me. And there was kind of this decision season, season that took place where I had to, to lay down my own plan. I had to lay down pride. I had to lay down some really nasty habits and, and ways of thinking about the world and other people and how I treated people. I had to lay them all down and say, Jesus, just in this moment, I'm making you my true light. I'm surrendering to you as the light. And if you look at the Christmas story, I mean, Mary as a person is not that impressive. She's 14 or 15, just about to get married in this very small town that, that besides the scripture being written about would probably never know it existed. And yet what stands out off the page and the reason we're here is that Mary said, yes. Mary surrendered her plan of salvation. She surrendered her way. She laid it down. And you and I are sitting here celebrating Christmas because of one person's yes, because of her availability to the true light. And so... I know this Christmas may be a time for you to decide, what am I going to do with the light? What am I going to do with Jesus as the true light? What am I going to do? How am I going to reconcile my plan of salvation with, with this plan you're talking about? And I want to encourage you very simply, it, it really does begin with just saying yes. It just begins sometimes with a simple prayer, simple conversation. And it's not the end. It's really a starting line. And we've been praying literally for months. I've been praying for months about moments like tonight and for people like you who, who may be keenly aware of the darkness you're facing and know that you've got to get a light outside of yourself. You have to have a plan outside of yourself to be saved and be rescued. And so I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask you to respond here in a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to just share a prayer with you. And maybe in the quietness of this moment, the most important thing you do this Christmas is not what you buy or what you cook, but it's a decision tonight you make to make Jesus the true light of your life. And so I'd encourage you, there'll be this prayer on the screen and I don't want you to get up. I don't need you to do anything. I don't need you to raise your hand or say it out loud, but just in, in this moment, you and Jesus, to pray this out. And, to, and if you mean it, to take a step spiritually this Christmas. So if this is you, pray this along with me. Jesus, I put my trust in you, the true light, that I may no longer remain in darkness. I confess you as Lord, and light of my life. I ask you to forgive me and give me real life in you. Amen. Amen. Well, maybe tonight, as you look around, you've got a card on your seat and we're gonna give you about 30 seconds. It just says, I'm ready. You've got a pen there, or if you can't find it and you've already sat on it or lost it, there's one close to you. I wanna encourage everybody to grab it, to grab the card, grab the pen, because all of us together, 
maybe tonight is a night where you take a spiritual step, where you move forward. And that may be a big one for you. Tonight, that may be, I'm starting a relationship with Jesus. Tonight, that may be, you know, I, I had a relationship with Jesus, but I've kind of lost my way. I've, I've left him behind and I want to re-engage that relationship. I want to make it new again. I want to refresh that and surrender. Maybe you recommit tonight. Maybe for you, it's taking a big step spiritually in maturity and saying, I'm going to get baptized or I'm going to move forward in my faith that way and declare it to everybody. Or maybe you're really honest, which is great. We like to be honest, but maybe you just say, you know what? I have questions about Jesus. I'm not, what you just said, I'm not sure about. And maybe you just want to talk it through with somebody or even talk it through with myself over the next coming weeks and, and help discover where do you land on all of this? Now, no matter where you are, Maybe none of those apply to you, and this is just 30 seconds for you to pray and soak in the moment. But if one does, I want to encourage you right where you are, the band's going to play. I'm going to challenge you to fill it out, to maybe put a name and email. And again, we're not going to harass you. We want to just encourage and love you as you take that step. But just to say, here's where I'm at, and to mark it down in boldness and in faith, and then we're going to celebrate those decisions together. So let's take 30 seconds, and let's do some business with God. God, I thank you uh, for bringing light into our darkness. Thank you that you, despite whatever we bring or think we bring to the equation, uh, really all you ask from us is, is, is us. It's, it's our open heart. It's an open life. I thank you for those who tonight are taking the step of, of asking you to be their Lord and Savior, of beginning and initiating that relationship with you, of responding to your invitation to, to take up true light and Thank you for those who are re, kind of recommitting to that or resurrendering their lives to you in that way and I want a fresh start with you. I thank you for that. I thank you for those who are asking questions who are not sure, where, where, what do I believe about Jesus and, and the resurrection and, and what we just read in the scriptures, like maybe they're hung up on that and I thank you for even that journey. And I pray that you continue speaking and moving in their lives despite having some doubts and some big questions. And I thank you for those who know that, that this coming year is a time to step into maturity. It's a time to get baptized. It's a time to start to serve. It's a time to commit themselves to, to being here more regularly, whatever it is. I thank you for that. And pray that as we celebrate and honor you throughout the rest of this time, God, that you'd help us to catch another glimpse over and over and over again of the light that you bring. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand, church. We're going to actually uh, close out tonight by celebrating. And the one of the ways you want to celebrate is if you tonight took a spiritual step, you in that moment uh, signed up or, or moved forward in your relationship with Jesus, or, or this Christmas Eve, you said, you know what, I'm going to take my faith seriously. I'm going to really surrender my life to Jesus. Again, maybe for the very first time. We want you to respond, and we want you to help mark, like we want to help you mark that moment 
at the back of this room, like on that wood wall that you kind of go in and out of, there's a simple light wall and there's a bunch of light bulbs and there's open sockets and it's on and you won't get zapped, I promise. But as a way to mark the moment, if you took a significant spiritual step in your journey with God tonight, we want you to go back, grab a light bulb and just screw it in because we wanna celebrate that with you. We wanna worship through that with you. And we just wanna rejoice because really at the end of the day, that's what we're about. If you ask anyone who's been part of our church for a while, you'll know that our heartbeat is seeing zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ. That's why we still exist. That's why we do what we do. And so that's part of this for us. That's part of what Christmas means for us. And so we wanna encourage you, be bold, take a step. You've got space, you can get there, um, but we're gonna worship and sing and then we'll, we'll send us out with a bang. So let's do that. Let's respond together and worship God through this moment. <laughs> 